Hey there, neighbor. Welcome to Good Life News, a weekly podcast where we talk about ideas, living the abundant Christian life, and God's wonderful, wonderful love. I'm your host, Pastor Lauren Fenton, an old farm kid, Bible student, preacher of grace, husband of one, father of two, papa for five, and really just another pilgrim headed for home. I'm so glad you've clicked in to join me on this journey today. Let's walk together for a few minutes and see what we can discover on the way to the kingdom. Are you ready? Let's go! Greetings, friends. This is episode 8 of the podcast. The title of this week's episode is The Lord's Prayer, Part 2. This is the second of a two-part series focusing on the meaning of several key expressions in the prayer Jesus taught to his disciples. So first I want to give a, an introduction to this episode. In episode 7 last week, we considered four phrases that Jesus used in his model prayer. These are our Father, which art in heaven, where we saw that our Father God is worthy of our love and loyalty and our devotion and worship. The phrase, hallowed be thy name, that God's name is holy and must be spoken only in context of reverence and respect. Again, the phrase, thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of both grace and glory. The kingdom of grace begins in the here and now, and the kingdom of glory will be established after Jesus returns back to earth again. And finally, our phrase for last week was, thy will be done. And we saw there that God's will is revealed or confirmed in his word, the Holy Bible. So today, in part two of our study, we'll be examining four more of those key phrases. Here's what they are. Our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Deliver us from evil. And then finally, the kingdom, power, and glory. It's interesting to note that the Lord's Prayer has a specific structure that is helpful to understand as we go through this. It's naturally divided into three sections, praise, petition, and honor. The praise section is what we covered last week in those four phrases that I referred to a moment ago in last week's episode. Today we're going to look at the petition and honor parts of the structure, those sections of the structure. And the first three of the four phrases we're looking at today constitute the petition portion and then the fourth finishes the prayer with the highest expression of honor to God the Father, to whom the prayer is directed. So let's begin. First phrase we want to look at is our daily bread. The petition portion of this model prayer begins with, Give us this day our daily bread. I want to look at what is included in the bread Jesus says we should pray for. But first, let's note that God the Father loves to hear our prayer requests and loves to grant them. Here are just a couple of texts to reinforce our understanding about that. Philippians 4.6 says, Let your requests be made known to God. Matthew 7 verse 11, If you sinful people, these are the words of Jesus, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? This is from New Living Translation. 
With those promises in mind, what is meant by our daily bread? It seems reasonable to believe that the bread Jesus is talking about here includes anything related to our basic needs in life, like food, of course, or shelter and clothing. But I believe it also includes many blessings God has in store for us beyond that and for others. Things we should pray for, the needs of family members, friends, even government officials and church leaders. In other words, Jesus teaches us that it's okay to ask for and receive the answers to our everyday needs. Every day is a different day with different needs. Daily requests form daily relationships with the Father who loves us and truly wants to connect with us. The next phrase for our consideration today is to forgive as we forgive others. Verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6 says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is from the King James Version. I find it significant that this prayer is central to both the petition section that I explained a few moments ago and to the entire prayer itself. Because the very idea, the core concept of forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. It's the essence of the everlasting gospel that the first angel of Revelation 14, 6-7 shouted as John, the revelator, saw this angel in vision. Forgiveness is the single most basic ingredient needed for healthy, life-giving relationships in this world. Forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness and anger. I'm not sure who said it first, although I've used this statement many times. Here it is. Bitterness is a poison you drink, hoping your enemy will die. When someone wrongs us, it's our natural human nature to strike back. The only way we can get even is to hurt that person back with equal or more force than what we received. Now, does that bring healing to the relationship? No, of course not. Not at all. In fact, the most probable result will be a deepening of resentment, an intensifying of anger, and stronger fortification of entrenched alienation. And I have to ask, when will enough be enough? You see, getting even literally means to justify. A perfect example is on nearly every page of every book or article or other printed material you can name. The vast majority of our reading material, our reading matter, regardless of the medium, is, quote, justified, end quote, on the left margin of the text. Many times, both margins are justified, such as most newspaper columns or magazines. To be justified spiritually means that our spiritual record is brought into perfect alignment with God's standard, and his standard is the Ten Commandments. The problem confronting us, however, is that because of sin, we are out of alignment. We need to be restored to God's standard, which namely is sinlessness. But we're totally helpless to get to that state on our own. No amount of strict, flawless obedience on our part now or in the future can erase our past record of sinfulness. 
Our only hope is forgiveness. God's forgiveness. God's making us all over again into a new creation. So we will be perfect in Christ. Here's an incredible truth penned by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Colossae. He says, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14 from the New Living Translation. So then, we must forgive others, even as God has already forgiven us. If we harbor unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, or resentment against those who wronged us, we block the channel, so to speak, for receiving God's gift of justification by His amazing grace. Thus, the admonition of Jesus in, in the model prayer that we must forgive the sins which others have committed against us in order to open the doors of forgiveness, justification from our Father God. Well, let's go on to the next phrase in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. I really like the way several different translations present the message of this phrase. The traditional King James Version, of course, he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The New King James Version expands that to, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And one of the popular paraphrase editions of the Bible, the message, says, Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. But my most recent favorite Bible translation says, Don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. Matthew 6.13, New Living Translation. I presume that most listeners or readers of the Good Life News podcast and blog have read or memorized or repeated the Lord's Prayer many times, maybe even hundreds of times. All the phrases and expressions are so familiar that they are easily spoken from rote or repetition without ever really stopping to think about deeper meaning of what this really is saying. And that seems especially true with this one. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. However, as we dig down into this teaching of Jesus, we discover some wonderful truths that are hidden just below the surface. For instance, what is the nature of temptation? Have you ever been traveling and running late? You're speeding along, doing the best you can to make up for lost time, and then you, you see what looks like a great shortcut. Excellent, you think. This is going to save me a lot of miles. <laughs> you wish. What you thought was a shortcut turned out to be the scenic route, and you lost more precious minutes than if you had just stayed on the main road. Oh my, how many times I've been there and done that. Simply put, a temptation is what appears to be a faster, easier way to reach your destination. Except, in reality, shortcuts rarely work out as expected, especially in the realms of the Spirit. Now, consider this. The very idea of temptation presumes a moral nature of human beings. 
In the story of Genesis 3.6, Eve saw or understood that the tree was good for food, for beauty, for wisdom. All those things were good within themselves. The arch deceiver knew that. He knew that the Creator God would provide all those things, those good things, to Adam and Eve. What he offered was a shortcut, an easier, quicker, more direct route. But to take this new, supposedly better way, they had to make the choice to trust him more than they trusted God. Sadly, they yielded. They ate the forbidden fruit. Their moral integrity was shattered by their disobedience. And the world still reels in the consequences. Temptations are a natural part of life for all free moral agents. Temptations themselves are not sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the next verse, Hebrews 4.16, encourages us by saying, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, a quick flash forward. In next week's episode... I'll be sharing some thoughts about our personal practices, habits of prayer. I believe God wants us to grow ever deeper in our prayer life as our individual spiritual journey advances. And I pray that as I share some of my thoughts and experience, that it will bring encouragement to you, too, to come boldly to the throne of grace. To finish up today's study, the fourth and last phrase of the Lord's Prayer is the kingdom, power, and glory. This last expression in the Lord's Prayer completes the structural trio of praise, petition, and honor. Maybe this would be a good place to note that this phrase is missing from the very earliest New Testament manuscripts. It was apparently added later as a doxology at the end of the prayer, maybe as early as the 2nd century A.D. Some have suggested it may have been a musical ending to the prayer added by devout followers of Jesus. Whatever the case, the thoughts expressed in this phrase are indeed a fitting example for how to finish our personal devotionals. I love the words, and frankly, my heart soars when I direct them heavenward to my Father. There's a lot more that can and should be said here, but with limited space and time, I'll need to condense my thoughts as much as possible. So let's briefly take each of the three words in this doxology one by one. The first is kingdom. In last week's episode, we looked at several aspects of the kingdom of God. We noted that there are two manifestations, the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. But here in this summary statement, honoring God at the end of his model prayer, Jesus helps us stay in the right relationship with the Father. He is God. We are not. The kingdom belongs to him, not to us. Although we have the supreme privilege of being part of his kingdom, both the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 tells us that Jesus has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Then the next word in this finishing statement, this finishing phrase, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, is power. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. And to the believers in Corinth, he wrote, Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24. Two words in Greek are both translated into English as power. One type of power is authority. Jesus used this word when he told his disciples after the resurrection, all power or authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28:18. The other word, dunamis, means the power of moral or physical strength. We get our commonly used word dynamite from this Greek word dunamis. And that's the word that is used in both of the texts above. It is the same word that's used in the doxology phrase at the end of the Lord's Prayer. So to use this expression at the end of the prayer, or even at the end of our own personal prayers, following the model that Jesus taught us, is to acknowledge that even whatever moral or physical strength we may believe to be our own, actually belongs to God the Father, who bestows it upon us as another gift of His grace. And then the final word here is glory. And of course, all the glory of the universe belongs to the great Creator. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament His handiwork. And again, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, It is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. End quote. As a final thought, here is a beautiful description of our calling written by Peter, the Lord's disciple, and powerful preacher of grace. He writes, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, that's where we're going to stop today. Thank you so much for listening. I pray you have been blessed, and I hope you can join me for next week's episode. I'll be sharing some thoughts next week about our personal practices of prayer in today's busy world. I hope you can tune in, and if if you enjoy these podcasts and blog posts, please share them with your friends, your family, or whomever, and my many thanks in advance. So we've come to the end of this episode of the Good Life News Podcast. If you would like to comment or join a conversation about today's content, please visit our website at www.goodlifenews.life. I'd love to hear your thoughts and observations. On the website's blog page, you can also find a complete transcript of the most recent episode, which will always be posted at the top of the page. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and 
other podcast platforms. If you'd like to help out in this ministry, it's incredibly helpful if you'd leave a nice rating or review on your platform of choice. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week as we continue our journey exploring more about God's love, His amazing grace, and the incredible good news of the everlasting gospel. Until then, walk in peace, live in hope, and hold your treasures with open hands.